This episode is sponsored by Less Accounting. Are you looking for a system that makes it easy to track all of your expenses, income, and your budget? Is QuickBooks too much of a pain for you? It was for me, and I switched to Less Accounting, and I love it. It makes things really easy to keep track of and gives me a lot of charts and graphs that make it easy for me to look at and just know where I'm at with my expenses and everything else. One of the owners, Alan Branch, and his son have written a book for entrepreneurs' children that talks about what entrepreneurs do and why they're important. So if you're interested in that, then go to lessaccounting.com slash hero. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 128 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. Curtis McHale. Good day. Reuben Lerner. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we are going to be talking about what to do when things slow down, when you have a lull, when you don't have a client. Now, I know that we've all probably experienced this. I'm just curious, when was the last time you went through this, where you were looking for clients but didn't have clients? Almost every June, actually, for some reason. But this June, for sure, was about six weeks. Actually, about six weeks of slow time for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, things slow down for me, actually, right now. I have several people that I've talked to, and I get a client lined up, and then, oh, we have to go back and figure this out. We'll contact you when we're ready. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't had a lull in work overall for a while because I've got the training thing. And because I work with a training company that tends to schedule me and we just keep scheduling it more and more in advance. So now at least with training, I'm pretty much booked for the next three months. But I don't like to do just training. I like to have clients as well. And that seems to have its ups and downs. And especially I find that I have lulls for my employee. So he's now on his third month of a three-month project. But for the two months before that, we didn't really have much for him. So you know, if you want to include him in me, then probably you know, three months ago, we had something. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I just got out of one for I think it was like four or five months, didn't have any work. Or, okay, that's correction. I had some work, but it wasn't a lot. But I just got out of it, I guess, about a month ago. And it's now I'm like freaking out because I'm too busy again, which is how it goes. Yeah, I've actually been doing little bits of work here and there on Canvas. I don't have like one, one project that takes up an entire, even a week. So yeah, so I'm talking to several people and seeing what I can line up. So what do you guys do when things slow down? Have a party? Sleep in? A little bit, honestly. I work on personal yeah. stuff. And uh, I have enough money saved that it's not really that big a deal. Usually when I come to June, I can tell myself like I'm paid till November. And so I don't sweat it. I just keep on with my normal process, which we can talk about as well uh, for marketing and work on personal stuff, take some relaxing time, head to the beach more often with my kids. Yeah, I wound up going to a conference and then, yeah, I've been working on devchat.tv 
getting that together. And, you know, I have one show on there now and I'm working on moving the other shows to it is what I've been doing. So, um, I've got that going as well. And then, yeah, I just keep up on the marketing. I, I reach out to a bunch of people every day and make sure that they remember who I am and, you know, just stuff like that. I think the big thing when people are starting is they don't expect it so much or they don't have the experience to say, this is just something that happens. I don't need to worry about it. I also found with a lot of freelancers I talk to that they haven't planned ahead financially. So they really do need work like absolutely every week to keep the ball rolling. They're not. Um, like I said, I'm paid to November. Plus, we have personal savings on top of that. So I am paid longer than November technically. Uh, and then if I decide to go to expenses only and not, you know, not coffee shop money and other stuff, then we are, I'm paid longer than that as well. Well, that, that's great. I mean, I'm not there in part because of finishing the PhD and everything. So I'm in a bit more of a, a tighter financial situation. At the same time, as I mentioned, I've, I've got the cushion of all the training that I do. And that basically can fill arbitrary amounts of time. Uh, I mean, the training company I work with, they just call me and say, when are the next days you have free? And as I said, that those sort of keeps extending further and further into the future. But I mean, part of, I think, what I realized over time in doing consulting is that these things come in waves. And so if I feel like, oh, no, I have nothing going on now, it doesn't mean I'm just going to sit back and not do any sort of marketing and not reach out to people. But I can also be confident that at some point within the next, say, two weeks, I will get email from someone somewhere asking me to work with them. I mean, just today. So there's this project I've been working on with my employee for the last three weeks. Uh, I'm sorry, last three months. And we might continue with them. We might not. It's a, we'll, we'll see if they want to continue with us and we'll see if we want to continue with them. And so I was starting to think, well, what do we do? And literally this morning I got email from someone saying, hey, we were in touch about three years ago. I really like what we talked about. It never happened. We never actually ended up working together, but I've got a new project going on, and I think you could be a good fit for that. Um, and if you get enough feelers out, enough marketing going, you'll get enough email from people that it'll take up some of that slack. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. The more people I know and the more people that I can talk to, you know, it makes a big difference. Basically, what I tell people to do is this, you know, you, you meet as many people as you can, you talk to as many people as you can, you reach out to as many people as you can remember having worked with before, you know, obviously, you should be doing a lot of this stuff, you know, on a regular basis so that you're continuing with your marketing. But, you know, just continually reaching out and staying in touch seems to make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, when you guys say that you reach out to people, do you contact former clients? Do you contact people with whom you had been in touch about? potential things. Because when I say reach out, I think, you know, there are these people and we never really went anywhere. Probably won't help, but sure, I'll contact them. I email them. And most of the time, truth be told, nothing comes out of it. But sometimes it does. Yeah, I'll email yes. or I'll phone call yep. or whatever. Whatever I feel yeah, like. I get in touch with my long-term clients. I have a couple of clients that have been around for years and I'll reach out and just say, hey, how's it going? What's up? And usually like, oh, we've been planning to do this thing, this little thing over here. So during June, I actually end up usually taking on some fairly small projects just to do some other outside client work and it's not necessarily full weeks. And then I reach out to even other, I found old clients or clients that didn't go with me that went with someone else and just checked to see how the project's going. And there's been a few times when I picked those up and they said, oh, the other person just has no idea. Like we're, it's just in a hole of and not happening right now. And then we pick it up together. Do you ever use uh, Twitter? I know you guys are heavier Twitter users than I am, but I've seen people talking about jobs online there. Do you ever use that to reach out to people? Sometimes. I don't like Twitter or social media as kind of marketing or that sort of thing. If you have a relationship with people, it's good to kind of strengthen it and, you know, just kind of have a relationship. But there's been one project for sure, I think maybe two, I'd have to double check, but uh, that came from Twitter directly. It was 
I had a relationship with another person. He knew someone who was looking for some some help on a project and kind of referred me. And so we started talking on Twitter a little bit and then we took it to email. So it's more of just kind of the, you know, extension of having a network of people you talk about stuff with and through that network, you know, stuff can get past you or you might even, you know, you could even search on Twitter or anything else and find projects that way. It's probably more competitive than if you had someone kind of recommend you, but that's normal. Yeah, my my experience with Twitter has been mostly that, you know, sometimes something will float across. I have enough Twitter followers to where I can actually post that I'm looking for work. And a lot of times people will come to me, but they don't usually come to me with the jobs I want. They come to me with jobs that I could work. But if I'm really hard up for work, then sometimes I wind up taking them. But just because I don't have 10 million months in the bank like uh, Eric and Curtis do. So that has worked out. And then on very rare occasion, I've actually seen something float by where somebody is looking for a developer. But I just don't think it's a great place to have a conversation and engage with people on that level. So you move off pretty fast from Twitter onto something else, email or whatever. Yeah. Like I ask when I'm slow in work in June, like I'll say, hey, does anyone, I'm looking for some new work right now. I've got some availability and I'll have friends that maybe don't refer to me regularly, but that just reminds them. And I got like this year, actually June was okay with some little jobs because friends said, hey, do you want to do this? And it was work that I was interested in just smaller than my normal projects. It was just fine. Yeah. And I, that's why I say I have to think back because I've done that a few times of like, hey, I'm looking for work if it's better phrase this, but it's like, I'm looking for work. If you have some contact me and it's a link to my contact form, and so I would actually see someone contact me through my contact form. But if I could actually track it, it would be attributed to Twitter. So, you know, there might be a few projects I picked up that came from those sort of things. But like you said, they're typically smaller or maybe not fully qualified or just not the same quality standards as other ones that, I that you know, I would chase down normally or get a referral for. Yeah, one other thing that I've uh, pulled a few times when things were slow is, you know, I'm on the mailing list for Instructure Canvas. I've brought that up a few times. And so I'll actually do things like, you know, post a list and say, hey, if you need help, I can help you out. You know, I have some downtime between now and, you know, in a few weeks. Another thing that I've done is I've actually, they've been discussing, you know, how do you set this up or how do you do this kind of thing? And so I'll make a video and post it. And it's pretty timely. And then I'll just mention in the video, if you want me to do this, then I can, you know, you can hire me. And that's worked out for work here or there. And one thing I started doing this I want to say this year, might have, I think I started into last year, but I have kind of a prospect mailing list. It's, you know, people who might not be actual clients yet, but they're interested and in kind of still learning a bit about me. And it's like a short introduction to me, my services, what I do, all that. But what I've been doing about every month or so, if I have availability coming up, I'll send out an email saying I have, you know, one spot open, two spots open, whatever. Um, and so that way, if there's people that have been kind of on the fence or they're, they have a project that's not urgent, but they just, you know, they want to work for me, they're like waiting for me, that gives them an opportunity to kind of get in contact with me. I'm going to be doing some more of it now because uh, I got a little bit of slack time between projects. But uh, I'm hoping to kind of use that as also like a way to keep in touch with potential clients, you know, get them warmed up with this stuff. And then, you know, I've had success of like following up over like nine months. So if I can build this into something that's, you know, people expect it to come every now and then, I can build a lot of trust with that too. Um, and that's something you can do. If you don't have a lot of work right now, you can try to build systems like this, kind of reinforce follow-up stuff like that, and that will kind of pay off in the long term. Right. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm planning in the next uh, even day or two now, I'm back from vacation and everything, to start regular blogging and start on my uh, uh, newsletter again. But I feel like those things are probably, even if you have a bunch of people on them, probably 
medium to long range things. You know, if I'm looking for yeah. work in the next week or two, then posting to my blog will help me in six months to a year. It won't help me in a week or two. Yeah, and I can't remember who said it. They said it recently. I think it was like in a private chat or something. But they basically said like the marketing you're doing now is what's going to help you in twelve months. And I've found the same for me. Like I've actually found like I can do marketing now, and in six months it would start helping me. But yeah, like there's there's short term things that you know you pick up the phone and cold call companies in your local area. Like that's you could have a new contract in a, in a day or two versus you know starting to blog and all that. That's going to be a year, maybe even multiple years down the line before you start seeing it pay off. Yep, absolutely. I think really your best bet is uh, referrals, and yeah, you know, like Eric's saying, you know, you talk to people who are either hiring or can send you those referrals, and you know, uh, yeah, just reach out to everybody and anybody. I mean, the worst thing they can do is tell you no. I guess you could piss them off or something. But. Well, there's also, uh, I mean, I think Curtis does this a bit, work for agencies or sort of do outsourcing for them on specific topics. Um, I haven't done that yeah, in a I'll while. I touch base with those but, agencies. Yeah. I just treat them like a normal client, right? I just touch base with them, see what's up, or touch base with the lead developer and ask what projects they're working on or something. One other thing that I'm curious about, and I know that Eric's done some of this, and I think Curtis has done some of this, but I remember we were chatting on the Ruby Rogues channel with Avdi Grimm, and he said, he told us that when things slowed down for him was the universe telling him to write a book. So do you do any of that stuff in the meantime while you're out prospecting, or do you just, you know, hardcore go after clients as hard as you can? Like I said, I do personal stuff. So I wrote or finished off writing and released a plugin for WooCommerce and restricting content for people. And that's, yeah, that's what I did. I focused on that a bunch and now it's out and I'm just doing, I guess, updates and feature additions as opposed to the main core plugin now. And then I also, it coincides well with the WordCamp out here locally. So I will get accept, my talk will get accepted and then I'll do the presentation typically in that slow season as well. Yeah. And my last, uh, it wasn't a slow time. It was, I, you know, took time off specifically from client work. But in that last one, I wrote my latest two books and then this slow time, actually, I'm in the middle of doing it right now, but I have like a four-week training program I'm giving for other freelancers and consultants. And I started kind of envisioning and putting this together back when it was slow for me. And the, kind of the reason is, it's like, even if you're kind of really hungry and running out of savings and all that, it's really difficult to do marketing and sales your entire day, like full-time. Like if you if you don't do it normally, like if you're not like a marketing consultant, it's just it drains so much of kind of your willpower, your ability to do stuff that, you know, by the end of the day, you're you're just completely tired. And if you do that too much, you burn out. And so you end up kind of the quality of the marketing, the quality of the salesmanship you're doing goes down dramatically. So for me, I found, you know, I can do a couple hours in the morning, work on something else, maybe do a couple hours in the afternoon. And it typically would be like marketing in the morning maybe product work or kind of the personal stuff like Curtis talks about kind of late morning, early afternoon. And then I'd do sales follow-ups in the, the actual later afternoon. But yeah, like it, you're going to have some slack time. If you, if you're not stressed about it, it might be good to kind of take care of health stuff, you know, get out of the house, you know, do some kind of make you feel better. So when you do get client work again, you're going into it at a hundred percent. Yeah. When I started out, like I'd have a limit for myself. I needed to make 10, what I felt were good contact or good cold calls in a day. And once I hit my 10, whether that was via phone or via email, then I didn't push myself to do more unless I wanted to. Yeah. And what I do is that um, wouldn't include client follow-up though. Like people I had already contacted say a couple days ago, if they were getting back to me and it still felt good, that would be on top of the 10 new contacts I made. 
Right. And what I do is I, I do the Pomodoro technique for all my work. And so I actually will set aside like two or three Pomodoros a day to do sales stuff. And just like you, if it's something like someone I just talked to yesterday or like a, you know, a hot lead that I'm following up with, like that's the priority. And then, you know, down near the bottom is like cold calls or contacting people just in my network, just kind of seeing if there's any referrals. And I just, when I really need work, I'll do that. I'll set aside some stuff every single day. And then if I'm busy, I'll set aside some time like every other day or every third day or something like that. Um, like I said earlier, like part of my process is to continue follow up with people. So like I have follow up emails at least two or three times a week for older clients that I haven't talked with in three months. And I just touch base with them, see how things are going. I just keep on that schedule for a while. Like I don't break the schedule just because it's slow. I don't necessarily increase things. Um, this year, I took the time to add mailed out cards to my clients. So I've added that now to every time I book a new project and take an invoice on almost anything on a new project, I send them a card basically saying, hey, it's awesome to start working with you. And then at the end, I also send them one. And then my good clients, I have a schedule to send them one uh, at least once a year, just a card to say, hey, how are things going, basically. I just want to add that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a book now. I'm working on a book uh, for people who have learned basic Python who want to... Um sort of exercise it and learn learn it better, deepen their understanding through exercises, which from my training, people kept telling me, oh, this is really something we could use. And so it's not exactly, I'm not working on it because it's a lull, but I'm just working on it sort of in my spare time between other things, hoping that it will lead to new and better clients, as well as selling the book, obviously. But even this, I'm hoping to release it in about a month or two at most. And even then, it's not a matter of immediate payoff. It's a matter of medium payoff and then long-term payoff as well. Yeah. And it's also the kind of the authority play with books. You know, if, if you wrote a book on Python, you're going to be seen as more of an expert than someone else who doesn't have a book on Python, assuming, you know, the client's looking for Python work. So yeah, there's a longer term play, but you could also get a little spike because of the book launch, the book marketing around the launch, all that can kind of broaden kind of the, the scope of where you are, like the people you can reach. Um, and that might pick up some potential clients that, you know, were completely outside your circle before. Right, absolutely. And that's part of my hope and plan that, you know, I'll get noticed by people who wouldn't otherwise have thought about me for doing training or for consulting work. Yeah, I do have to wonder, though. I mean, the payoff on that is if you're going to get some payoff from the launch, then it's going to take however long it takes you to write the book and do the launch in order to get that kind of payoff. Right. Right. So it's not immediate. If you if you need money now, you know, it it probably isn't going to be as helpful. Right. And that's something to balance. I mean, it's kind of goes into that personal time that I talked about where, you know, make sure you do your marketing, the stuff that's going to pay off shorter term, like the blogging or whatever. And then the, you know, do the, the sales direct contact stuff, which is the, you know, the very short term, like you're having an active conversation. And once those two, two ducks are in a row, then you can actually work on the longer term, that sort of thing. But you have to do it in that order. Like don't focus on kind of doing the book when you're not following up with leads. Yep. So besides reaching out to people, talking to people, doing some things maybe short-term that get attention. Are there other things that you guys have found that work to find clients in the short-term? Curtis has talked about it a bit, but I mean, I want to restate the, go back to your past clients. I mean, they've hired you, assuming you, you know, left on a good, you know, a good standing relationship. They've hired you before, you've worked with them, you're, you know, they're large clients, you're in the system, all that. Touch base with them. I mean, even if it means taking them out to lunch or, you know, something where it's a large time commitment, like, 
I've gotten quite a bit of work from people that I worked with and then we kind of parted ways and I went back and like, oh yeah, we could have you do something else for us. And so, and it's a very easy sell. Like if, especially if you're kind of willing to negotiate on the rates or your terms or whatever, I've heard of people being able to kind of jump right in within like 24, 48 hours. So if, if money's tight and you're kind of at your wits end, that's a, that's a good thing to kind of push on and try to do. Yeah, when I worked for the WordPress agency for three months years ago, when I left, I literally left with no work, and it was the next day we were, I was leaving because of how my pay period worked, and I went from zero work to like, I don't know, $6,000 with three emails because I just emailed old clients and said, hey, do you have anything for me? I have some time now, and they said, yes, I do. There's tons of projects they wanted to start, so it was great, a great thing to go from I don't have any work in two days to, oh, I'm booked out for a week, a couple weeks now. So do you guys usually reach out over email or phone or what? Yeah, both of them. Usually email. I it's easier for me. I can kind of convey and, you know, massage the message a bit better. And I also feel like a lot of my past clients and people I would t- contact, um phone is very interruption and I don't want to interrupt someone's day, kind of catch them at a bad moment or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I usually send emails and it's also easier to kind of follow up with an email than it is with a phone call, I feel. I, I definitely use email, but I use the email to just sort of say something. And one of those somethings, I should say, I use the email to say something short. And then one of the things I try to say is, okay, let's set up a phone meeting, phone or Skype, to talk as soon as possible. And then yeah. I try to suggest uh, specific times. Like I'll say, well, uh, I'm busy tomorrow, Wednesday, but Thursday I have a slot at 10 a.m. Would that be a good time to talk? Yeah, that's an approach that I use too. And then we get on Skype or Google Plus or whatever and talk. But I definitely feel that, you know, shall we say, I, I get a fair number of messages through LinkedIn. And so that's nice for very short messages. But I quickly move to email because, as Eric said, you can finesse it more and you have more room for text. But I find that it's easier. Well, first of all, part of the whole marketing and sales is understanding their needs. And there's just no way to do that in a serious way over email, at least not in a short period of time. So I feel like the sooner I can get onto the phone with them or Skype with them or talk to them, the sooner I can really start to ask questions to understand their needs, find out if we're a good match, and if so, then try to move it ahead. I want to say something. You can find that out through email. It is harder. It is more nuanced, but you can. I've worked with a couple clients that I never talked to on the phone. It was all through email, um, all electronic. Yeah, I've had the same experience. Most of the time, though, it's easier for me to close the sale if I actually talk to them. Though, like you said, Eric, I've had a few that I just emailed back and forth and then had it work out. So, Yeah, and it could have been sometimes it's, I'm thinking of two clients. One was in Germany. Uh, they had a very weak, uh, they're very weak with English, and the other one was in Switzerland. So it was time zone difference, language difference, cultural barriers, all that. And both of them could actually write really good English, and so it was actually easier to do it through email. Um, but yeah, closing was a bit harder. I do kind of more of a soft close instead of a hard close with that. Yeah, the client that I'm thinking of in particular was in Germany, and it was the same reasons. They weren't comfortable with their English. Their typed English was fine, but, you know, they weren't comfortable actually speaking English to a native English speaker. Yeah, and but a lot of Americans are weak with English, too, so. That's so true. <laughs> Especially with writing. <laughs> I done right good. I ate the pizza. That's probably how I sound when I'm talking Chinese to people. <laughs> Did you monkey on? Yes, but Chinese isn't your native language, Ruben. True, true, fair enough. Well, this might wind up being a little bit shorter episode, but is there anything else you guys want to add? I just think that the big thing is to focus on your marketing plan, which you should have year-round anyways, and then if it's looking like it's going on a little longer, then just step up your cold contacting again. 
it should be the same thing. And then even, say, like I said, stepping back farther and making sure that you've budgeted and saved appropriately to know that these times happen. It's kind of like taxes. Taxes happen every year. If you do not save for them, you're just fooling yourself. So you will have a slow time, and saving for it appropriately is what a responsible business owner should be doing. So let, let me ask you about that a little bit, Curtis, because you've talked about cold calling. And the last time I tried cold calling was probably about 10 years ago, and I was miserable at it. And I was miserable at it probably because I just sort of randomly chose some companies to call. So have you had a good experience with cold calling? Like, have you actually managed to get clients through it? It seems just weird to me to call a company out of the blue and try to convince them to hire me. Okay. When I say cold calling, I'm going to include like cold emailing in that too, right? It's a contact that has no idea who you are necessarily until you got in touch with them. And I have had some good success with that. Probably get one client a year at that. That's kind of over the $10,000 mark. I honestly probably only send out 10 a year at this point, but I'm very specific. I'll see a site that I really think has some improvement to make um, in a certain area that I would be enjoyed to, like I would enjoy working with as well. And then I will email them and I'll tell them why and I'll you know, send them screenshots and everything. So my cold email is a very detailed response on my end. So I've taken some time up front to do that. So it's not, it's not just like a, Hey, your site's terrible. I can fix it. Did you know that? And I charge money. It's, you know, here's why it's not working quite right. And here's how it could be fixed. So I know one, I even got, like I got put on the cycling uh, sites pro team for like three years running because I kept finding bugs in their site and I kept going back to them kind of as a cold thing, thinking it'd be good in my portfolio. And they just said, Hey, would you like 60% off all our stuff? Sure. I'll take that too. <laughs> so how do you identify people like that? I always keep an eye out for them. Really? So you um, just keep a list? I just keep an eye out for them. So I actually found one yesterday on a baggage on, on a site that talks about like backpacks or you know, bags, messenger bags. It's kind of all over. And I found it like a, a bug on their site. And it was like, this is a very clean, very well engineered site. They do not want this. And so like I said what it was, here's what I expected basically gave them a full bug report on how we could probably fix it together. And then, you know, if you don't have anyone to do this, I actually do this as well. Oh, that's cool. The first thing is it's all about serving them, right? Serve them. Here's all the issues. Here's how you can probably fix it. Here's what I thought was wrong as a user. And by the way, I also do this too. So I'm providing all the value up front and then at the end saying, I could probably help you. I mean, I, I tried, I guess it was about two, three months ago, bought some jewelry for my wife and I saw that the site was just terrible and they really could get a lot of, I could give them a ton of value. And basically the owner of the site seemed really excited about this and passed me off to their communications director who said, ah, I don't think so. Bye-bye. So, you know, my, my, my one and only experience in cold calling in the last few years, but I'm sure I just approached it totally the wrong way in saying, I'm sure I can help you. Here's some techniques I have. And they said, no, we don't need that. Yeah, I mean, also that's like kind of a numbers game in a way. Yeah, I say that's like you know getting a kid on a bike and they just say, "God, oh, go ride it." Bikes are easy, and they go ride and they fall over immediately. And they say, "I can't do this. This didn't work for me." Like you tried it once, of course it didn't work for you. Why would it? Work? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair the enough. other thing I've seen too, like we talked about this in the freelancers forum, someone saying like, "Why do you worry about your site so much when you get so many referrals?" Well, most people come to your site, and the only reason you're getting contacts is because they're already warm. Like anyone that looked at your site otherwise as a freelancer, like coming as a potential client would look at it and go, who is this person? They don't even care about their site. Why would they care about mine? Right? So does your site back up that information you're giving them that you do care about this? You do take time to input into these things or not? Now I feel guilty. Good. That's exactly what my goal today. (laughs) Checking that off on my box. But yeah, I mean, now that things have slowed down, I mean, that's one of the things I'm really focused on is because I want it in there. I want, I want it to be together and I want it to look great and 
Anyway. Well, I mean, but and that's a good thing I, for your slow time too, right? So yes. in my slow time, I relaunched my sfndesign.ca site or launched it for the first time really and put some real time into it. And I am getting more contacts that have taken more time to read exactly like the emails I'm getting from clients on initial contact have doubled in length because they're detailing all the things and basically saying, this is why you should work with me, right? The last one was a turbocharger company and they like the, a lot of their email was like, hey, you know, I understand you liking bikes. I understand you should do this. My grandchildren are actually, you know, racing in the U.S. nationals in their age groups. And, and it's a great contact. I had a call with them this morning and they're a great contact. So I'm getting more of those types of contacts now that I've really put some hardcore care into my site recently. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, your website's not going to be, it's not going to generate leads for you. It's not going to be the place where someone just stumbles upon it and they contact you. What it's going to be is a filter or like an anti-filter. You know, you're going to have a bunch of people come to your site. And if your site's so bad that it turns everyone off, none of those people will contact you. But if like Curtis's site, if it's good, if it's focused, if it has personality, shows he can do what he does, the website's not going to be a barrier to the people going to his contact form and getting in touch. I even use my website where I kind of, well, I'm in the progress of it, but I'm trying to make it where it's very clear, you know, if you're below a certain amount of budget or if you want something in this area, I'm not going to be able to help you. And so there's no point in even contacting me. Here's some other places to go. And that's going to give me less leads, but it's also going to make sure the leads that do come to me are a lot more qualified and it's not a waste of time. Like I won't have people coming to me wanting a Rails app built from scratch for 200 bucks or something. Yeah, one other thing that I like about that, though, is that if you're referring off to somebody else who can do the work, then you might get some reciprocation. So, you know, they may start putting on their site. If you're looking for a custom-built website that, you know, uses Ruby on Rails and does all this stuff, then go check out Eric. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. even the reciprocation. I mean, I tried a couple years back, I was getting a lot of Redmine leads when I was doing Redmine, and I actually was completely booked. Like, I could not take all the leads, and I was telling my wife I could probably hire another full-time developer to and have them fully busy. Um, so I was referring, I had a list of, I think, half a dozen people I'd refer stuff to. And I wasn't really looking for reciprocation or anything. I was more looking at if these clients go there, they get work done for Redmine for their project. Some of that might leak back into the open source community. Some of it's just going to make the client's business better, which means they're going to serve their customers better, which means this larger group of people is going to get more value it's more of just the pay it forward or whatever, you know, just stuff's going to happen and be better. More people will be happy than if they couldn't do their project and just had to cancel it and move on. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's the right motivation to have. I'm just saying a lot of times when I pay it forward, sometimes it gets paid back. Yeah, I agree. More, the more referrals I've given, the more referrals I get too. So I have another, there's another WooCommerce developer I know that works really good with external APIs and he does a bunch of other stuff. And so he sends me work that's more suited to me and I send him work that's more suited to him on a regular basis. And it's occasionally it's sad. He's like, thanks for that project, Curtis. You know, it's a two or three week project and it was $24,000. And I'm like, it would have been nice to have $24,000 when I was slow. But at the same time, he's, you know, he's sending other work my way that I'm really excited about because I wasn't necessarily as excited about the first one. Yeah. And a lot of this, I mean, to kind of bring it back, like this is kind of having a network, having peers that you can talk to and you know rely on because I know a developer I, I was with a client had it's a good client good large project and they just needed more people like they just they had so much work um, I ended up bringing him in and he told me later on that he was actually having a slow time and so 
me kind of referring him into the project I was in basic didn't save his business, but it, you know, made it a lot easier at that time. And I think he was there for like six months or maybe nine months or longer. So kind of building up your network, especially during a slow time and kind of having these connections you can draw on, or even if it's just a loose connection, like, you know, if you do rail stuff, you know, and you could talk to me, like I might have a rails project that doesn't fit me or I just need more help. I'd probably come to you first and be like, hey, do you need this? And just having that out there can kind of give you a good referral source. And over time, that could be where a lot of your your new projects come from. Yep. One other thing that I've had work out for me is uh, going to users groups and things like that. And a lot of times just standing up and saying, hey, I'm looking for work. Let them know that I'm freelance. Let them know that I'm looking for work. A lot of times stuff will come out you know, where it's, hey, well, we could use some help for a few weeks or we could use your expertise on this particular problem. So it's not a large engagement, but it is something. And on occasion, I've actually gotten emails after the fact saying, hey, my brother or whatever is working on an app. So, I mean, any of that too, you know, you go out and you you meet people and get to know them and what they're about. And talk to old co-workers, talk to old, not just old clients, just kind of brainstorming here. But I think there's a lot here, and I think there's a lot of great advice. Any other words of brilliance? Yeah, I, Curtis talked about you know having savings set up, and I think one good thing for that, not just to have savings, but to kind of know how much you're spending each month in your business and kind of keeping track. I've talked in previous ones that I kind of keep track of my monitor of like how many days I have in savings. Um, and so if I don't have clients, I can see it going down steadily every week. Or if I start getting a lot of work, it goes up. I think knowing that and keeping track of that is really important. And the other side of it is if you notice that it's going down fast, you're not getting work, to really, really take a hard line at expenses. Cut stuff, if, especially if it's client-related, like... Um, I had one where I was using to kind of test in Windows uh, VMs to kind of, you know, do compatibility. Well, the project I ordered that service for stopped like six months ago and I was still paying for it. So I did a quick audit, found I was paying for that. I'm like, I don't need to pay for that. But there's stuff like that. There's stuff like, you know, when you're really hard for work, kind of stopping paid education, paid training stuff is probably a good idea. Um, you know, try to use the free sources if you can, even including like a library or whatever else you can kind of downgrade that because the longer you can make your cash and savings last, the easier it's going to be. Because I think, I remember it most times, but even I forget it sometimes, but just because you've got a client today doesn't mean that, you know, you have money and you're good now. Depending on the terms, you might work for them today. It might be 30 days before uh, you can send them an invoice. Then it might be another 30 or 60 before they pay you. So even if you get work right now from your work, from your marketing, you still might have a couple months before you actually have cash in the bank. And so, kind of being aware of your savings and cash flow and all that stuff is kind of, you know, really important to do. Even if, even if you're kind of set, you have a good chunk of change there just so that you know if you need to kind of turn stuff up a little bit. Yeah, I really like that. And it makes sense. Do you guys have advice? I know we've talked about saving in the past, but do you guys have any quick advice for making sure you have enough in the bank to get through a lean time? Spend less than you make. <laughs> good plan. Uh, it's the truth. I mean, that and... You know, make sure you have three to six months at least. If you are in a high risk situation, like, you know, you have a lot of kids, you have medical issues, you're in a very high standard of living environment, like say you're in San Francisco or whatever, or you're new to freelancing, you've noticed it takes a long time to pick up a new client, go for the higher amounts. I mean, six months, 12 months in savings is probably not even a bad thing. Sock away as much as you can. And do it automatically each month if you can. If you have to remember to write a check or transfer the money each month, it might well not happen. 
when I put I put away thirty uh, percent of every contract I make, and twenty five of that is for taxes, and the other five is for long term savings all the time. And after depleting some of it in June, I actually put fifty percent of everything for the last while till I got up to where I was pre June as well. And so, like, yeah, I was up there by a couple weeks ago, back up to the top where I needed to be, and then I've just got the money sitting there again, waiting for the next time that that happens. Yeah, and if you combine that with what I was saying about like cutting expenses, if you can. You know, you're, say you're back to, you're out of the slow time. If you can keep your expenses low, like at the lean time, but you're making a lot more money, you're going to have a bit more of a buffer. And mm-hmm. so what I've done is during that, I would use that to help fill the savings faster. And so my expenses kind of, they go up eventually, but they go up a couple months after the income goes up. So I have that little bit of a gap, which is nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And do you, I know I've asked this before in the past, but I, you know, I just want to make sure that we cover all our bases here. So Curtis, it sounded like you said you have savings in the business and personal. Eric, are you doing the same thing? Yeah. I try to have three to six months of business, which is taxes, business expenses, and then my salary. And then I also have three to six months in our personal, which would be three to six months of, I'm trying to remember, I think it's income for my wife and myself. So it's kind of if, if I have no clients, she loses her job, we have, you know, at least half a year or so that we can kind of live without any new income, any a single dollar coming in. That makes sense. So yeah, so we're, we're not quite that advanced in terms of thinking about things, but we do both put away money every month from the business and on our personal account. And truth be told, when we've needed to borrow money, like over the last year when I was finishing the PhD, going to the bank and asking them for a loan when you've been saving a lot and when they see that is way easier, at least in Israel, where it's based on a lot of personal negotiations rather than, if I mean, certainly trying to borrow money when you've been saving is always easier than borrowing money when you've not been saving. But it sort of politically looked much, much better as well. Yeah, I also... Like when I say savings, if I had debt still, then I would be uh, not have the big savings as I do. I would still have it in the business, but we would not have it personally as well. We would be paying everything but $1,000 into every debt we had, which is what we did a few years ago. So now I only have a mortgage. Someday. Someday I'll be there. Wait, I didn't hear that Sunday, like a few days from now? Sunday. No. Someday. This is a really good episode, and it really kind of inspired me to, you know, to do better with my marketing and stuff. So which piece are you going to add, Chuck? Which what? piece are you adding to your marketing specifically? I'm going to get my website done. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you need someone who does websites, I know a few people. You know a few people. Out. That's good to know. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think that's actually one of my problems. Like if I just paid somebody else to do it, then it would just get done. But because I try and do it myself, you know. Yeah. Making my big thing was going from designing a theme, which I'm not really great at, and kind of hobbling my way through to just buying one and making some tweaks to brand it for myself. That's what I did. And that put changed it over like a month, months of working on it to like I got it up in like five days and then just worked on the copy and then made some more color tweaks a little later. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. I've bought a gazillion uh, HTML layouts off of ThemeForest and I'm probably just going to grab one of those that I like that's close to what I want, put it up, you know, fix the copy and the images, and then, yeah, I'll just tweak the colors and stuff later. Something decent now is better than something perfect never. Yes. Yep. All right, let's do us some picks. Uh, Ruben, do you want to start us with picks? Sure. So I've got some picks that reflect my recent travel. Uh, I just arrived this morning from Germany, and then earlier this month I was in China. So if you haven't seen it, uh, there's this fantastic movie from a number of years ago called Goodbye Lenin 
which is about this uh, woman whose heart is very frail and she can't go through any more shocks or she might die of another heart attack. So her son tries to pretend that East Germany still exists. And it's all in German. I don't speak German. But it was incredibly funny and gives you a sense of West Germany versus East Germany, which, truth be told, is sort of hard to believe existed only 25 years ago if you're in Berlin nowadays. But it's a, it's a great, funny movie. And we're playing a show to our kids now that they've been there and they can learn something about what that time was like. Uh, my second two picks are both books by uh, Howard French, who worked for the New York Times. So he was a bureau chief for them, both in Africa and in China. And so his latest book is called China's Second Continent. And it's all about Chinese emigres to Africa and what they found in terms of setting up businesses and the cultural issues. And it's really, really interesting. Um, and that led me to read his first book, which was called The Continent for the Taking, uh, which is all about the history, uh, recent history and uh, future of Africa and different countries there. And much as I love to follow history and politics, I am woefully ignorant about what happens in Africa. And reading his books has made me, A, realize how ignorant I am, and B, how much we should all learn about it. So anyway, those are my picks for this week. Cool. Eric, what are your picks? All right. So uh, I've been busy with client work. And so whenever that happens, I tend to read a lot more fiction just to kind of give my brain a rest. This book I picked up, it was on, uh, I got into that Kindle Unlimited program um, where it's like all you can eat Kindle books for a flat fee or whatever on Amazon. Um, and this was like highly rated in there and seemed interesting. So I'm like, I'll grab it. Uh, it's called The Atlantis Gene, a thriller. Uh, it's basically a, a three part or three book novel, like a trilogy. But I don't want to spoil it, but if you like sci-fi or anything along that, like it touches a ton of different genres in sci-fi, um, I think you'll enjoy it. The first book's great. The second book's great. The third book, I don't think was as good, but it wrapped up a lot of the threads. It's, this says almost, like, almost 500 pages. It's the kind of book I finished and then grabbed the next one the next day and started right into it. So I'd recommend it if you're looking for some kind of sci-fi fiction to kind of read right now. Cool. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick an Anchor USB 3.0 hub, which I have been using in my new office. And it is plenty fast. I don't actually notice any difference between using that through the Thunderbolt dock I have or plugging directly into the machine. Uh, it's just as fast to pull off multi-gigabyte uh, screen flow files that I'm pulling and then I render on my other machine at home kind of overnight usually. Cool. I'm going to pick a book. I was listening to it while I was at uh, Podcast Movement, which is the it's a new conference for podcasters. Um, it's called Habit Stacking. And basically, it just talks about how to get going on a bunch of things that you want to start doing. And it was really interesting. He mentioned mini habits. I haven't picked that one up yet, but Eric's mentioned it a few times to me. Anyway, the idea behind it is that, you know, you just take the little habits that you want to get started and you, you know, you just sit down and you work through a whole bunch of them at a time. And I am really, I'm about halfway through the book, I have to admit, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. So I'm going to pick that. And that's all the picks I've got. So I guess we'll uh, wrap up and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Working and learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. 
You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.